What's going on, designers and decorators? It's Timothy. I hope you all are having a fantastic week. I know it's been quite a while since I recorded. The last episode I did, Community Over Competition, I'm re-recording because evidently in 2021, we saw people who are a little bit um, offended <laughs> about little Timmy's statements that really weren't a bad statement. Putting that aside, moving forward, I'm not losing sleep over it. I will re-record that as soon as possible because I really think that's a, a topic that we have to discuss or at least I have to push out there because I believe in community over competition. So I will get that episode out there in probably two more episodes. I have to gather my thoughts to make sure I don't offend any more people, but we'll definitely get that out there. With this episode, I'm going to talk about construction. I've actually never talked about construction on here. I think I touched I think I touched base on it before, but I want to talk about it a little bit deeper since someone requested it. So there's three parts to this. The first part is creating construction documents uh, for permits and bidding, and then the process of getting the estimate and bid out, and also finding a GC. In order, I'm gonna talk about construction documents. Every single city has very, very specific requirements. Um, in regards to what's required for the construction documents. I've done kitchen renovations for cities where the city building department wants a whole floor plan for the whole entire house, even though we're touching like just a bathroom or just a kitchen. And I think the reason why is because they want to see in conjunction with the rest of the space what, what exactly is happening and what's changing. That said, every single city is different. So that's going to really tell you what you need to do in regards to the construction documents to get city permits. Next up is the construction documents for the GC. What I show is floor plans, elevations, uh, reflected ceiling plan, and also electrical and plumbing, but the finish, not rough, because I don't do like the detail, you know, wire view and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't do any of like the electrical details. I just show like, hey, I want to switch here. Or I'm moving a switch from this location to that location, so on and so forth. And that way, the, the GC can actually go off of that. Now, if the city needs more details, like if you're if you're going to do plan check or if you're going to do um, actual permits to the city, the city might need you to get a licensed electrician or a licensed plumber, and your GC might be able to do this, but uh, to drop their own separate plans for the details in regards to voltage and all that stuff. So you just have to really check with your city on what, what's required there uh, for your project. For the bidding part of it, what I actually give my GC is the floor plans, elevations, and any kind of like reflected ceiling plan, electrical plumbing, all that kind of stuff, um, really on a basic level. And I also do befores and afters. So I do what's existing on the floor plan, and then I also do what we're proposing. Accompanying that, I provide a detailed scope of work. The detailed scope of work is actually going to different sections uh, or going through different sections. So I'll do, you know, prepping is a whole other section, installation is a whole other section, and I also do that same kind of format for each and every single room that we're doing. So if we're doing a kitchen renovation, first thing would be prepping, you know, like quarantine the kitchen if, if we're not touching anywhere else properly making sure that the existing floor, if we're not changing it, is covered uh, with cardboard, you know, all of that prepping for the construction part. And then we go into demolition. Demolition of what? 
uh, ABC XYZ. If we're keeping, you know, one part, then make sure to note that in the scope of work. And I have not only the client sign off on that scope of work, but I also have the GC sign off on the scope of work. Um, and that alleviates any kind of liability because if my client's approving that scope of work and my GC, everyone's on the same page. So after that scope of work is done, um, I actually have my GC follow through with a detailed itemized bid. And itemized, I'm talking like legitimately, <laughs> legitimately itemized. Like if you're looking at demolition, I want to see on, on your bid, how much are you charging for the prep part um, on the material and labor? I want to know how much you're charging for demolition. Does that include a 40-yard dumpster minimum? And for how long? Because that dumpster, generally, the city will only allow that for one week. Then if it's going to be extending a week, I want to see that. Like You're, you're going to have that 40-yard dumpster for two weeks or X amount of time. Um, I want to see everything itemized. Um, and the reason for that actually is I found that GCs that itemize things are more honest with their pricing than ones who just bulk everything together because they're just guessing. They're not they're not saying, okay, well, ABC XYZ, what do we feel comfortable charging for this project on a flat rate fee? Um, and they tend to charge a lot more, what I've found just with my GCs I've worked with on a flat rate with just them bulking everything together than them actually itemizing everything out. This also gives you an opportunity to question things too. Like if you're not, if you've never worked with this GC and this is your first time, or um, if maybe if this is even your second or third time and you're still getting the trust factor in there, this gives you an opportunity to go and reference things and say, hey, why, <laughs> why are you charging you know, X amount of for, for this particular part. And it gives an opportunity for you to kind of be an advocate for your client because there is that budget that we need to hit. And so you're not only just designing, you're also making sure that the client's budget is is met. And if that means advocating for them and asking the GC to justify their pricing, they have to justify it. Just as we as designers are supposed to justify our hourly rate. Like if we're charging, you know, X amount on a, a billing invoice, well, for you know, fifteen hours, the client's gonna want to know, okay, what was the what were the fifteen hours spent on? It's the same kind of aspect. You can get away with GCs that are that are giving you like a solid price, so long as it falls within the budget. But me personally, I always ask for itemized, and I actually am able to see a lot more, a bigger picture of, hey, where where like where is this GC charging that doesn't make sense? And being able to say, okay, well. If the client doesn't maybe want D on the project, then we already know if we remove D from the project, that's going to take away $4,000 or we can save $4,000 from this budget. So it also helps with the budget because then you can also go in through that itemized list and say, hey, what, what, we, what do we need to do to get this budget down uh, on construction side? Well, great. You already know because if you don't want to install, let's say, six recessed uh, cans in the kitchen maybe you can do, you know, four and that'll save you, you know, 500 bucks. So that's, that's why I ask for itemized and that's how I do that part of it. I also get three. So I never tell my client we work with one GC. I always include one that I always work with, but I also find two additional ones that can bid on the project. My, my GC that I normally work with hates that, but he understands that like, look, that's the client, you know, it's not me. The client wants to see three different pricing structures. 
So I'll always bring my, my GCI work with, and then I'll find two additional ones, maybe from other designers that that recommend them, or I'll just completely yelp the, 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 the GCs if the ones that I call really aren't available. And so I always give three bids to the client, and then I sit down with the client, we go through all three of them, and then I provide my honest opinion on it. I never steer the client to the GC I work with, and the reason why is because it's a liability. If for whatever reason, and yeah, I trust my GC 100%, but if for whatever reason, let's say my GC's wife divorces him and he becomes an alcoholic and he's showing up to the job site completely drunk off his ass and then does something to where, I don't know, maybe scaffolding falls on you know my client's husband or my client's wife or whatever the case is. Now, that G- now I could be liable as a designer because I recommended that GC for that project. At least that's the, the situation in California since California is a consumer state and judges typically are in favor of the consumer over the business. So I always give three options and I always leave it in the hands of my client to make that final decision on who they want to hire. Next up. Let's chat about getting general contractor and finding one. So I already mentioned that I have one that I work with. I've had really bad experiences in the past with GCs. I'm not even going to lie. Maybe it's because of my blunt personality. But when it comes to finding a GC, when I was scouring the webs trying to find one, when I were in those binds... <laughs> then the situation really was just me yelping and calling a bunch of them, seeing if they're available. And it it was very frustrating, 100%. But what really came down to it was just trying to find someone who's available who can go look at the project. And obviously, they have to be insured, bonded, licensed. In California specifically, and this isn't the case for every state, I know, I think it's Nebraska, I, don't, I may be wrong, but I think Nebraska doesn't even require GCs license to even practice general construction, which I think is absurd because you're touching load-bearing walls. But here in California, every GC has to have a license, has to be insured, has to be bonded. That's 100% a requirement. Clients will say, hey, I don't mind if there's an unlicensed GC, but I do a waiver of liability if my client says that they are open to that, um, just because I want nothing to do with it. If the GC is required to have a license, technically they can go to jail, and it just happened like two weeks ago. It was in the news where a GC went to jail um, for practicing construction without a license here in California. So I don't mess around with that. If the client agrees to that or if they want that, then I do a waiver of liability. When I meet with a GC, I always bring my my documentation. Um, I always talk about, you know, what's happening. Um, I always meet them with the client. And when it comes to vetting them, I actually act really stupid. (laughs) And the reason why is because I feel like if I act stupid, I can get more information out of them. So the way I act stupid, and I can also tell if they know what they're doing. So there's one specific thing, and I always lie, and not always lie like for everything. There's one specific situation I always lie about, and that's what we're doing. There's always one part of the house where I tell the GC that we're, we're doing a, um, we want to do a brick wall. And we want to replace the drywall with a brick wall. The reason I lie about this is because I want to know what the GC says with their process on installing that brick wall. So I always tell them, hey, you know, for this wall, we want to do a brick wall. And I always tell my clients I'm going to say this because you'll be surprised how many GCs tell you the way that they'll install this wall and it's the wrong way. 
So I always say, hey, this wall, I want to do a brick wall. I want to replace the drywall. I want to do a brick, um, you know, a full brick wall. Like we're not talking about, um, you know, like the really thin bricks or um, anything like that. We're a full brick, like an actual brick wall. And I, I asked him, like, what would the process be for that? And, and like, you know, what, like, what would you do? Like, how would that be able to be accomplished on this wall? The wrong answer which we get a lot is, oh, we'll just put the brick up against the, the drywall. Do you realize that on a standard 12 foot by eight foot wall, that's like like 350 pounds of bricks, 500, almost 500 pounds of bricks, I would, I would assume, going on drywall, that's wrong. What you would actually have to do, which is the right answer, is remove the drywall, replace it with hardy backer, and then you install the brick onto the hardy backer um, direct to the studs. And the amount of GCs that get that wrong, it's a huge liability because if you do it the way initially, the wrong way, that much weight on that, that drywall will literally rip that drywall out of the wall and could like basically make that whole brick wall fall. And so it has to be done the correct way. If it's just normal tile, like a brick veneer, really thin brick, yes, that can go directly on the drywall. So I act stupid. I lie about that one part of the project, and if the GC is correct on that answer, I'll make it a joke, and I'll tell him after we hire him, hey, by the way, we're not doing that brick wall. That was me testing you to make sure you knew what you were doing because we get GCs that don't know what they're doing. But that's a perfect example on how to, to on my way, on how to properly vet that GC. There's also other ways. Obviously, in California, you really have to make sure their license is active. So I always get their license. I get their, their insurance information. I get their bond. I get all that information. I give it to the client. That's one part of the vetting process. The other part of it is making sure they know what they're doing. Um, I also never look at reviews online for the GC. And the reason why is because I feel like reviews can not only be fabricated, but any negative reviews that you see, there's always two sides of the story. For all we know, that could just be a crazy person that's pissed off that her GC didn't want to do things that she wanted, but she didn't agree with it and then wound up firing him and didn't pay him, but you don't get that side of the story. All you get is an angry person that's writing a review. So I never, ever, ever look at reviews online for anything because I feel more people who are upset are the ones to write the reviews versus people who actually had a legitimate good experience on that. Um, the other part of the vetting process is if there's any um, projects that they did that are close by, I will ask to see them in person because there's a big difference between pictures. My my fiance is a photographer, a professional photographer. And so I know for one, you can definitely Photoshop the shit out. You don't even need to have a photographer fiance to know that. You could just know that in general, that it's easy to Photoshop images. So if I'm able to get into the house and see the project that the GC did, I can see all the imperfections in person. I can get close to it. I can see it in person. And I asked to do that on two projects. I asked the GC, hey, can you can you find me the best project you've ever had and the worst project you've ever had? I wanna see both of them. And then it also gives me an opportunity to talk to that homeowner as well, to say, hey, what was your experience working with Joe Schmo? And their response will be whole different in person than it is online. And of course the GC is there. They could be fabricating, yeah, uh, you know, he was amazing and blah, blah, blah. But I'm also really good at reading body language and body language tells me more than what's coming out of the person's mouth. So that's, that's really how I vet GC. 
overseas, I think it's really important to find a contractor that you trust. And if you don't trust them initially, that's okay. That's, of course, a, a no-brainer that you're going to find someone that you're not going to trust at first. Um, but always ask for recommendations from your industry. If you know a another uh, designer or anything like that, uh, then definitely reach out to them and see if they can recommend a GC for you. Now, <laughs> going back to the very beginning about community over competition, you will find designers who don't want to share that information, unfortunately. I don't know why this industry is like that. I think it's stupid. But if you, for whatever reason, have a you know designer acquaintance that doesn't want to give you the name of their GC, then find a trade showroom. There's one here in Upland called Inland Design Center. But yeah, in Upland, California, if you live anywhere in the area, if you're in Los Angeles, there's Inland Design Center. Um, her name's Diane, and she's absolutely phenomenal. She's been in the industry for over 50 years. Definitely reach out to her for any references for GCs or, or tradespeople. Um, anyone she trusts, I trust as well. But definitely check out your trade showroom. Your local trade showroom is a perfect resource for that because typically they work really closely with those GCs. That's a great resource to try to find those. Steer away from Yelp or anything unless you really have to. At the end of the day, what could also be beneficial to you is telling your clients like, look, go find your own GC. I'll help you vet them, but I want nothing to do with that. That's extra work, obviously, and I do charge my clients for finding GCs on an hourly basis. So if they don't want that extra hourly rate, they can certainly find the GC and then you can help them vet it. Obviously, still paying that hourly rate to vet the tradespeople at that point. So there's that. Please be sure to check out Indima.co. We just released mood boards or vision boards if you are uh, specific about the name of that. Phenomenal, phenomenal background remover. It's probably the best in the industry. I'm not saying that because it's my platform. Literally, I did a side-by-side -side comparison with other platforms with the background remover. State-of-the-art with Indima. Uh, background removers are super, super helpful they're probably the most used tool of the of the vision board tools um, we also released a product review where your clients can actually view products you've sourced for their project and like or dislike them and write comments about it and notes and be able to then at that point create an invoice or an estimate directly from the approved items. We've grown so much within Dima. Definitely check it out in Dima.co, I-N-D-E-M-A dot C-O. And then also students get a free account, a free solo account. So if you're a student, reach out to support, provide any kind of proof that you're a student. You will have to sign up with your student ID or student email and yeah, just jump on the platform. We'd love to have you. Thanks so much for listening in. Take care, guys. Namaste.